So longtime listeners of the show will probably remember Jay Davis, who's been on a number of times. Well, in addition to being a friend and a consulting client, I'm excited to say now that he's also a sponsor of this show. Last year, when I was spending a lot of time at his company's office, he started a new company called Pillow Cube, which is this awesome memory foam rectangle pillow that's tall enough for me to be a side sleeper, but not have to have my head sag down like when I try to fold over my regular pillows. It's really pretty amazing, and for any side sleepers like me, it's great so we don't have to wake up with shoulder pain. On top of that, it's been really fun for me to see him have so much success because it's been selling like crazy. Anyways, if you're a side sleeper, I highly recommend going to pillowcube.com and getting one for yourself. Needs to be changed, or you would think that would be more efficient for you. And you know, and, and you're right. There's a, there's a lot of stuff like you know access controls and how you talk and engage with your with your tenant, right? Because that's that's also for for a commercial real estate firm. They have so many customers that it's really hard. I mean, like, how do you prioritize, right? So you know, if you, if you, if I go to a shop and say, okay, well, who's your customer? Well, your customer is your equity source, your investors. Your customer is your tenant or your resident. Your customer is your Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, I've got Rob Finley. Rob, thanks for making time for this. Oh, it's my pleasure, Jess. Thanks for having me. So as I was saying before we got started, our mutual friend, Josh Steinle, was telling me what a genius you are, and I've really been looking forward to this episode. So give us give us a bit of the the elevator pitch on your background here. Sure, sure. Well, genius is, is not is not, nothing that anybody would call me. I, I've been in the right place at the right time and have been very lucky and blessed. So I think that's the, that's the key to it. But my background started, I, I grew up in, in New Hampshire, part of a real estate family. My dad was a broker and property manager, which meant I was a broker and property manager. We operated real estate, we operated and we did development and construction. So, so for the past yeah, you know, 40 years of my life, I've been in commercial real estate at some some capacity. But growing up where it's cold, realized I didn't really want to be on site in construction, pouring concrete in the winter. I, I like the finance route. So so I ended up going working on Wall Street for a little bit in the commercial real estate side of the of the house. And then ultimately starting uh, my own business back in 2000, after I saw the sort of the way that loans were being originated, and more importantly, the way that the loans were being extinguished. So in in a securitized real estate market, there's this concept called defeasance, which basically means that if you get a CMBS loan or a securitized commercial real estate loan, you can't actually repay it. The only way that you can get out of this loan is if you basically post collateral or treasuries in order to replicate the cash flows. Well, this in, in, in theory was a great practice because it really helped with the securitization side, but it wasn't meant for the, the, the transaction itself wasn't meant for a $5 million loan. They were meant for, you know, defeasance is really for 
big municipal $300 million bond offerings. And so I started a company, had no idea what I was doing, but nobody else in the market knew what they were doing. So I started a business that that focused on the defeasance of, of loans. And since nobody was there to to you know to try to check to see if I knew what I was doing, I you know, basically self-proclaimed myself the expert. And and in uh, in six years' time, we we built up quite a quite a business. So started that, and then ever since then, I sold that business. Ended up reinquiring it back a few years later, but but in the past. 20 years have done nothing but build up commercial real estate firms that focused on technology and innovation or making real estate operators' lives easier. And then in 2012 or so, I started buying my own portfolio as well. So I come to a, a very unique perspective of owning real estate, operating real estate, but also supplying technology and innovation to those, to those groups. So, you know, so often people like to think about innovation as only in Silicon Valley and only for like purebred tech, 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 right? Yet you think about like enormous asset classes like like exist within commercial real estate. There's such an opportunity because, I mean, I don't know how you, how you feel about this, but I feel like in some ways real estate is so great because it's, it's the closest thing to passive if there is such a thing as passive, right? Or it can be. And so it's it's not as much of like an innovator die. Do you know what I mean? Like if you're an app company, like tomorrow when the next app gets funded by Sequoia Capital, you guys might be on your steep decline out. Well, like if you've got a great location on that building, that doesn't typically go like that, right? So it seems like the people like you who are who are forward thinking, who are, you know, going at it with operational intensity and who are like connecting the dots and using, you know, using tech to do that, you're not like as flooded with doing tech just like everybody else in the industry. Do you feel differently about that? How do you, what do you think? Yeah, I think there, there's a lot to digest there in that 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 question, because I think there's there's a couple parts to it. I think, yes, they, people think about innovation really in the technology side on Silicon Valley and in those areas. And I think commercial real estate in itself is almost like the wild west. And so when you when you think about like the spectrum between users of technology and innovation and not users of, of you know technology or, or if you put it in the opposite, you put commercial real estate guys way over on the side that don't use it, but then all the other consumers of investable dollars, hedge funds and private equity shops and you know you name it and you know mutual funds and all these other groups are all over on the other side. And so what, what we see in the real estate side and, and commercial real estate, everybody knows, has, has been a laggard in, in technology and innovation forever. And, but the thing that makes it really exciting and really exciting now is as you, if you go back to that spectrum, commercial real estate firms can absolutely change. And as they start to go closer to adoption of innovation and technology, put this huge gap between other people who are going after the same thing, which is, you know, commercial real estate folks, what do we go after? We go after equity, right? We need equity in order to be bigger. And so the only way to really go out and, and get equity is to differentiate yourself between everybody else that's trying to go out and get equity. And the easy way to do that is, is really just innovation and, and, and technology. It's like being a trader, you know, if, if you're sitting there, could you imagine going to a to a hedge fund, a quant hedge fund, and the guys are, you know, on their phones and not, you know, not using any Bloomberg terminals or anything? I mean, that's basically what it is like right now. So, so I do think that that's where that in lies is where the opportunity is 
for real estate, commercial real estate firms, is to start this, this sort of approach for consuming and consumable innovation and technology. You know, it's interesting. We had on the show, Johnny Hanna, he, he and his buddies did a, like a business competition at university, right? Mm-hmm. There's punk kids, right? He was actually roommates with my cousin. <laughs> and, and like, it was not on the surface. It's not like an overly complicated thing. They figured out how multifamily, you know, apartment building owners could take the rent using credit cards. <laughs> Stuff like this, okay? Right? Goes into a hundred million dollar business. It's called Intrada. Yep. Right. Because, because, because they could make people mail in the rent. They did. You know what I mean? And yep. so something like this solving the problem, you know, like they're not like the champions of business to do this. Right. right. So he, he, he basically got bored because it got, became a big company. Yep. So he recently started over a handful of years ago, started this company called homie, which is kind of like one of these, you don't need a realtor to buy a mm-hmm. house, but we have a realtor in case you need anything from a realtor kind of thing. And it's crazy how up in arms the the like kind of like the 1980 style realtors are about it because man he is so efficient like yep. he can char- he can charge like i don't know like an eighth <laughs> you know right. a 12th of, of what these other people charge and he's right. still making his money and they're just like Anyways, they're like taking out ads against him and like they're going crazy. I'm like, why don't you just innovate? Like the answer to this is not going to be shutting him down. You cannot stop progress. But anyway, thoughts on that? But that's it. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's that's the way the whole industry is, though, right? I mean, you still have I mean, one of my favorite books is Who Moved the Cheese or Who Moved My Cheese? Right. And it's like, I mean, you can go into any organization and 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 part of what, you know, I look at when I look at real estate companies is. Are they willing to innovate? Are they willing to change? Because there still are. You talk about people using credit cards or or payments to to make their 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 rent payments. There's still companies out there that don't allow that. Still want somebody to mail in a check. Still want somebody to process it. Still want you know. And and so that's where you start to see these huge inefficiencies and opportunity in the market, right? You know. So so that's so yes, I do believe in that. You know, what's funny is my office well, takes no form of electronic payment. <laughs> I remember just being shocked. I'm like, I, I don't think I've mailed a check in like years mm-hmm. to anybody. Like maybe my wife has for some family bill or something, but I wasn't a part of it. it like we switched to this new office last year yep. and I was like, oh, hey, I realize I'm going to be late if I don't get this payment in. What, what are my options? They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you know, Venmo, credit card, what, like, right. can, I, can I go, what? No, I, I'm sorry. We don't do any of that. You don't do right. any of it? Nope. Right. And so that's- <laughs> Mail a check. Yeah. I mean, that comes back to the same thing, right? So you mail a check and now there's a delay in getting your cash. And so, you know, and when you're trying to get returned. So so I think that's where I, I think, and that's why commercial real estate, I think so many people focus on commercial real estate as the actual asset, which is obviously very important. I'm not going you know, to dispute that at all. But they don't put equal amount of time into how do they operate a real estate company? How are they as an owner of a real estate? And so, you know, and I, and I think there's a huge, that's, that's really what's going to change and differentiate the, the industry going forward, which is why there's groups that have, you know, have gone through rapid growth in the last few years, not just by buying assets, but by building up a business that buys and manages and owns and operates commercial real estate projects. Cause that's, that's just as equal, right? And that comes back to that innovation yeah. stuff. Well, and something I think would be great if you could repeat for everyone is 
you know, before we started, I was telling you about, hey, this is where I think our fund is going to go. We're going to go try and buy like the unpopular stuff that has a higher rate of return. And and you gave what I think is great advice of like, hey, Jess, the market is not that inefficient. It's paying right. that rate of return for a reason. Like, you know, ha- like you got to know your operations. Like this is not just a buy and hold. If you want to make that kind of money, this is this is an operations game. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, sure. I think that's, you know, look, there's, first of all, returns and real returns um, in the market are, are sort of, to me, I've never understood them, right? Because there's, you know, people don't typically talk about risk-adjusted returns, like, you know, in the same breath, right? So, and 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 they they are, but without actually saying risk-adjusted returns, right? So, you know, class A multifamily in, you know, in Austin, sure, I would expect that to be a fairly low return versus a, you know, unanchored retail strip center where all the tenants are dark in the middle of nowhere, right? That's obviously it's going to be higher. And I think that that when you start to look at those types of, of properties, sure, the opportunity, a, 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 a return is great. But in order to see the return, you really have to operate the property. You really have to do things. And I think that's where that's where I think the market is, is you know, that's why there are a lot of foreclosures. There are a lot of opportunities because people buy over lever and, 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 and can't execute on a plan, which is why, you know, quite frankly, which is... You know, why commercial real estate owners are are in some cases a, mono- or a, a commodity, right? There's there's not a lot of differentiating between firms. So tell me this: you you've seen so many parts of the industry, you know, from from the early days to having your own portfolio now, the technology, all these things. When you think about, because because my guess is there's there's hardly any you know real estate funds out there, or, you know, large asset owners that would think about themselves as bad operators. Nobody looks in the mirror and is like. Man, I'm a terrible operator, right? Right. right. So, the the ones who think they're doing a pretty good job versus the ones that are objectively doing an incredible job as operators. What do you what do you see in the gap there? What are those incredible so, operators doing differently? So, I see with these incredible operators. So, I, I think it's hard to it's hard, right? Because I think one of the things you have to look at, and 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 I don't, you know, look. I think all operators do something good or bad. It just doesn't really matter. But I think the most important thing that that we look at is what kind of enterprise value are you creating as a firm, right? And that's where, you know, and 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 so I think I I would answer that question sort of in a roundabout and sort of multi multi answer. One is the firms that are doing a really good job. Are raising a lot of equity, right? So that's the you know because that's really the key is is the the a company that can really operate is attracting equity. Good thing about home homework, but so I so I look at that. But but I think the the issue to go back to is how are you operating as a business? Is there value for your business? If you as the head guy of the real estate shop went away, is there value there? Would somebody buy your business? Not your assets but your business would somebody buy your business and i think that's the that's sort of the thing and i think as you as you go along that spectrum of becoming more valuable and better as an operator you start to create more value as an enterprise and i think that's the way i, I look at the at the difference between the two as, as we talked about earlier it, 
anybody can get into this business right now, right? You can start up. And if you have money from, from mom and dad or from some friends who are wealthy, you can go buy whatever you want. There's nothing, there's no barriers to entry, right? It's not like, you know, if I wanted to start Tesla, I would have a lot of work to do, right? I, there'd be a lot of stuff to be a competitor to Tesla, but I could go out and be a competitor to almost anybody with some money. And, and so I think, and, and when you look at the enormity of the, of the market, there are so many real estate firms and so few equity sources relative to that number, you really have to start to differentiate yourself. And the only way you can do it is in showing and making a story that you're doing something different than everybody else. Because the other thing that, that is interesting with the market as well is going back to there's no such thing as risk-adjusted returns, right? So I can show you, yeah, I've, I've done five properties and my total return now is I've, I've tripled the equity. I've had, you know, I have a three times equity multiple and all that stuff. Okay, well, great. What did you buy? Did you, did, if, if somebody else was to buy those properties, would they make a five times equity multiple? There's no, there's no benchmark, right? There's, there's nothing to compare those returns to. Yeah. It makes me think about stuff that Howard Marks says from Oak Tree, right? Like if you made 20%, but you were putting it all on red and we could have lost everything and possibly gone in the hole with liabilities yep. versus the other guy who brought in nine, 12, but in a highly collateralized in a, in a secure way, like are, those are not apples to apples, right? Yeah, right. And that's and that's the thing. It's it's you know, I, I think the the risk adjusted returns for commercial real estate, you know, because there's no such thing as sort of that risk adjusted return, you're right. You don't know how much how much risk are you putting on a firm uh, or a property in order to get those returns. And and I think we talked about before too, there's there is some unrealistic expectations from people who are investing in real estate for the kind of returns that the market is willing to provide. And that's that's always gonna, that, that's gonna cause friction, right? Because if, if I'm the one who's giving you equity and I'm demanding you know 8% current and a 15 or 16% total IRR, and your underwriting isn't hitting those numbers, well, it takes a couple of tweets on Excel and you've got, you've got the numbers, right? So, so there's, there's a lot of it. So that's why I think if you look at some other things that go on within an organization, you know, that's when you start to make these decisions. Okay, do they believe in risk-adjusted returns? How are they looking at it? What's their process for vetting deals and systematically approaching that? That How are they looking at deals? Are they consistent? Are they- Look, you know, let- Let's let's stop on that for right there for a second. When you think about great underwriting versus average underwriting, what's what's a sign? What signals to you? Wow, these people are thorough. These people know their stuff when they're underwriting a deal versus, oh look, I did underwriting. Yeah, I, I think well, you know, we might be a little bit different because of our backgrounds, and you know, we invest in a lot of deals in a in a JV function or as even as an LP with with sponsors throughout the country. You know, you can see it in the details, right? And you can see it on 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 risk, right? So a lot of it is going to be what's what's the residual value, right? And the residual value is a function of a cap rate, which is a function of of you know interest rates, and and so there's there's easy ways to look at that. Debt structures and things like that are also things that we look at, right? You know, knowing, as I said, in my background, I I made most of my original money from building a company that did nothing but prepay loans and understanding that the that the value of a loan, anybody who's dealt with prepayment penalties will understand that, you know, in certain markets, the prepayment penalties could be 10 to 20% of your loan amount. And so just understanding that that, that 20, 20% big on a, on a deal is, 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 is big, right? So, so understanding the, the mathematics. I also think the thing is, if you look at approach, I think some of the simple things is Excel is probably one of the scariest, one of the greatest and scariest inventions of, of all time. 
right? So, I mean, look, I, I when I was in my 20s, we didn't have Excel. We had like Lotus, you know, Lotus 1, 2, 3. And, you know, and, and some of us knew how to use it. People are using Excel. They turn around and, you know, just because I know how to use it or, or I don't, but let's say, you know, I've got the whiz kid who comes in one summer, he does everything as Excel models, and then he leaves and then somebody else hard inputs it. So, so risk management is, I think is more important than, than some of the, some of the tools, the actual numbers. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm interested when you look at like the success you've had and, and the large financial rewards that you've had, what are, what are a couple of the things that you think you've done different from, from other people who are doing similar things to you that, that didn't get the rewards you got? So I think, you know, in particular commercial real estate. So, right. So my whole, my whole business has been commercial real estate and, or, or supporting the commercial real estate industry. I've been very fortunate. We've built in the last 20 years, we've, we've built and sold five companies that focus on commercial real estate and providing solutions to commercial real estate. I think the, the, the number one thing that we have done is we've made our technology consumable. And I think that's probably the most important thing. Look, go back to that, that, you know, spectrum that we talked about, right? It's this, you know, sure. If, if I'm a quant hedge fund or, you know, some type of macro strategy hedge fund, I'm using all sorts of technology and, you know, and, and yes, there's incredible amounts. But if I go into a conversation with, with most commercial real estate owners and say, oh yeah, well, you need to start thinking about, you know, some crazy AI thing for modeling. Nobody's, nobody's going to, going to listen. And so what we really try to focus on is, is delivering something that I can use. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm the consumer of most of my stuff. And so if I can understand it, you know, I think that that, that sets the level, the bar low enough that most, that most people can. And that's really the key is, is you, you want to be able to, technology is a, is a, is a tool. It's, it's an aid. It helps. It's not, it's not our whole business. It's not the way that we're going to do stuff. But if we can start to implement little bits of technology over a period of time, in aggregate, they start to develop. And it really starts with coming down to the beginning, which is I am willing to change. I'm willing to put innovation and technology in a little bit. Just, just I'm going to try it. I'm not, doesn't mean we're going to have robots running everything. No, it just means let's put our stuff and let's let's start thinking about ways that we can do things differently. As I said, I, I think innovation is more about noticing change as it is sort of the technology. You know, I think my favorite thing, you, you said a lot of good things there. And I think my favorite thing that you talked about in there was this usability factor. Mm. You know, I'm thinking specifically of, because we've been looking at a bunch of different prop tech of like, okay, the buildings we're getting ready to buy this year. How do we want to, how do we want to take care of our tenants? How do we actually want to like, I don't know, have a different level of customer service than they're used to, these kind of things, right? And your point there about usability, I think can be easily missed if I start geeking out on like the power of a tool and like, oh, look at all the, look at all the bells and whistles, look at everything this can do. It's like, yeah, is, is the tenant actually going to use that? Is, you know, like if we go into markets where it's not big enough for us to have our own property managers there and we're using a property firm, like, do we have to rely on them to put that input in? Like, are they going to use it? Like, you can have these great tools, but if nobody knows how to use it or they just, the barrier to using it, it's annoying to use it. It yep. Like, look at CRMs, you know, salesforce.com is an amazing, powerful tool, except that hardly anybody can get their sales teams to really use it. Right. I mean, if you're at Google or something and like you get fired because you're not using it, right? right. That's different. The other like 95% of anybody I've had anything to deal with who's not like at a fortune 500 company, right? 
that like they're begging their reps to put the info into Salesforce or hiring assistants to do it for them or all sorts of things. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that's really, that's, you know, it's, it's, you're, yeah, believe me, I, I sing, we sing CRM hygiene all day long. So, you know, so I believe me, I, I understand that pain and suffering of, of having, you know, some guys who are just not putting stuff in. And, and yeah, every, a lot of people own CRMs. In fact, many shops actually will have a couple CRMs in them. And so I think that that's where it's like, you know, but, but being able to have it consumable and, and, and right, it, you can't make this stuff too complex and it's got to fit definitive needs. So when you say that, I'm thinking about like all of like the IDEO human-centered design, like the guys are inventing, you know, making the mouse for Steve Jobs or like, you know, the design thinking stuff at Stanford. Who, who do you look up to or who do you like when it comes to usability, when it comes to those type of aspects, when you, or, or, or even like a company that sets the example of like, man, we just want, we want our customers to feel like cust- like these people's customers. Yeah, I, I think you have to look at it. I think you have to take a look at, at, a, at a bunch of different people, right? So, you know, I mean, you, I mean, every, anybody who's in technology wants to have that uh, group in Stanford. I forget which, whatever the group is that, that is the ones that are behind, you know, all the social media, right? Where you want, that's like the goal of everybody to get somebody on it, using it. But I think what what we like to do is we actually believe in a very, very sort of collaborative approach with all of our customers, right? And that's that's a nice thing. I mean, look, we're we're commercial real estate technology. You know, if our customer base is 500 customers, that's a good company, right? That's that's not, you know, we're not talking about millions of customers. So with the number of customers, you have to really listen to them and understand them. And that's, you know, when we look at that, just, you know, basically taking like these, these buyer journeys, what, what works for you? What are you doing that is, that is, needs to be changed, or you would think that would be more efficient for you. And, you know, and, and you're right, there's a, there's a lot of stuff like, you know, access controls and how you talk and engage with your, with your tenant, right? Because that's, that's also for, for a commercial real estate firm, they have so many customers that it's really hard. I mean, like, how do you prioritize, right? So, you know, if you, if you, if I go to a shop and say, okay, well, who's your customer? Well, your customer is your equity source, your investors, your customer is your tenant or your resident, your customer is your employees, your customer is your lenders and your brokers, because you have to maintain. So you have all of these people. How are you, how are you, how are you creating your message and going after them? And that's, that's really, then you can start, once you know that, then you can start to take, okay, well, that's how I can approach them. If I know who they are, how much, how consumable of technology will they, will they take? It's interesting, you know, this word listen that you just used, you know, like it does make you feel like you have to throw out the you shoulds. And, you know, when you talk about that, that customer journey, what does that look like for you guys? Is this just trying to keep your finger on the pulse? Is it a more formal process? What does that look like for you? Yeah, for us as, as a company, so we do it in both stages, both on a, you know, so when I talk, I have to talk sort of the technology guy who tries to build software companies and then the real estate side. And on the real estate side, we go through and we write down sort of personas, you know, who is our customer and we break it down and and we really make sure that our messaging, our communication is very clear to those people. And, and that's that's really important. It's, it's actually been really very valuable for us because that even includes service providers and stuff like that. So once you start to know the behaviors of all the people that are part of you, it's like, 
yep, I, I, I now can address those things and know if they're, they're a risk. And, and that's been very valuable. So we break down, so we do every, every year, and we do checkups where we'll go through and we'll write, okay, and start from you know equity sources, debt sources, we go into our tenants or our, you know, our residents and, and start to break down. And even every property, we do the same thing. Because in certain places you might have different, you know, different resident personas, obviously, or different tenant personas. But really understanding their their and all we want to know is their wants and fears, right? And it's you know what do they want? Oh, okay, they want to you know our office tenants they want a nice easy building that has good air and you know HVAC systems. Okay, well we now know that that's a big deal. So let's you know what's their fear? You know it's and so knowing that that stuff is is really helpful in building a, a property business plan and. Annually, do you do this for all the properties the same time of year? Do you have a set schedule? Okay. Yep. You do yeah. We we do it. We typically do it when we take over a property and we think about our business plan for the property, and then we do some checkups to just see how we're doing. Because I think that's the one of the key points, and I've I've taken from the technology side and moved it over to our real estate side is this thing called KPIs. Right. And so KPIs is, you know, key performance indicators or, or like every software company, venture company, they live and die by these things. And we do typically on the real estate side as well. But the metrics are primarily focused on things like occupancy or rent per square foot delinquency, you know, notice to vacate, all those kind of those kind of ter- terms. But when you start to add these additional KPIs to things like that, like, you know, hey, tenant satisfaction. Do we focus on tenant set? You know, when was the last time we, I, I know we do it on the multifamily. When was the last time we did it on, on the, you know, on, on our commercial tenants? You know, do we have scores to how happy people are? You know, things like that. So it's, it's it, so that's a, it's a constant, you know, monthly and quarterly sort of compiling of, of that data. Cause you have to know, you have to set these things in order to achieve them. You have to know where you are and where you're going. You know, I'm interested in why you think you're so much more thorough about this than other people. Because other people could learn this stuff. Other people could, other people could bring stuff from other industries like tech, but but so many haven't. What do you attribute that to? I don't think I'm any more thorough than other people. I think I just look at certain things differently and I put added weight to things, right? So it's like I'm, you know, like I I, I focus more on maybe some of those buyer journeys. Than, than people, right? It's all it's all about the same thing, right? People look, it's just, so it's not not being any more thorough. I think that the, the key thing is, and it's, it's very easy, the companies that, and, and there are there are real examples of companies that have applied this sort of this, this technology and innovation into their organization and have blown away the world. And, and that's where it's- who, who, Yeah, who do you like? Who do you feel like has oh, done a good job? I, I think Cortland out of Atlanta, and and you know their their true proof is in the pudding, right? They went from five thousand units in two thousand fifteen to some I don't know sixty or you know sixty five thousand. And and if you look at a company like that, I mean they they have a group of of data scientists and and data and analytics, and they everything that they do is all about innovation and and doing things differently, which is you know there's there's groups like that. There's you know and there's there's a handful. I mean you can go through and you can see the groups that maybe existed but did not exist in the fashion that they exist in today. And and you can go through and you can look. These are these are guys oh, I forget there was a company out in I forget their name but it, but they're in Chicago. Guys like guy was a private equity guy, got into commercial real estate. This was probably 2012, 13, 14 somewhere around there and said, "Geez, you know what? We need to create an experience like uh, Charles Schwab for our 
for our retail investors because there's, you know, there's a horrible situation and, and this is how we do it. Is that maybe so, like the guys at Origin or something like origin. that? It's exactly. It's Origin. Yeah. 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 So it's Origin. So, so you know, and, and they're like, hey, you know, unfortunately they built it. I also built a, a system called IMS, Investor Management Services, which is the same functionality, but it was a company we just sold to RealPage about a year ago. But it's, you know, it's the same, it's the same thing, right? It's like you, you get these experiences, but those are guys like that where they're taking outside, outside sources and implementing them into real estate. And, and you know, I mean, you look at Origin. I mean, Origin is now, you know, has, I haven't, I haven't paid attention to them recently, but I mean, I know that they've got, you know, lots of properties. And Well, they, they have brought some more professionalism to the crowdfunding side of things too, mm-hmm. you know, and like, I think they raised, you know, they did, they really did re- have related well to their customer base. I think they raised like 115 million in 15 minutes once on yeah. one of the raises because they built up the demand. They built up the demand, they opened it up and the previous experience and the reputation and all that. And it, you know, just went like that. Yep. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, and these guys weren't, I mean, I don't know when they started, but it wasn't, yeah, it's not they're like not they Blackstone. Were, right. They're not Blackstone. They're not Mac. They're not, I mean, they, you know, they haven't been around forever and, and they they come in and start. And so that goes to show that should be proof to almost anybody out there, especially ones who who are in the syndication model who need equity in order to grow. It's like, all right, I see these guys, you know, it's like, you know, and 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 it does. It it just comes down. And that's where I think that's where I'm 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 optimistic that this is where this market is gonna go, where People are going to start to, it's consumable technology, right? That made sense. You want something like Charles Schwab. I don't want to go, you know, I don't want to wait for my financials or my K-1s or whatever. I want to, I want to go to a dashboard. I want to see that, you know, because we are in commercial real estate, we we are competing for investable dollars, right? We, we compete with everybody else. So we need to, the closer we can make it more sophisticated, more to our customer, the better. But yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there's, hundreds of examples of companies that have gone through implemented technology, taken an outside approach and have been successful. So you've been so successful on the technology side. You've got, you've got this big portfolio of, of the actual real estate you're in yourself. What's next for you? What, what's the future hold? What are you working well, on? I'm, I'm still, you know, why I do it, I don't know. I keep on asking myself, but I have started another company this past year. So it's really focused on sort of the same thing. It's 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 really focused on data and analytics, primarily sort of like an asset management solution called Lobby CRE. And that was really focused. Um, I went out and I bought a business intelligence tool and was so excited that I wanted, you know, I'm like, oh, I, I could see all this information. I'd be great. It's, I'm going to rule the world in terms of real estate because I'm a technology guy. It's all good. Well, I go and buy this stupid thing, go to my my guys and say, okay, put this on. And, and they looked at me like I had three heads. They're like, we don't have the data structured and organized in order to do this. It's like, you're asking, you know, the BI tool speaks a language. All your data sources speak different languages and nobody's there to translate it all into that one language. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, why don't we just build that? And so it's expensive to build. That's why we didn't, you know, to, to build a big data lake and data warehouse where you bring data in, it's expensive. So I said, okay, well, what if we just sort of do like a Office 365 and, and just do it that way? Just sort of, you know, so we build it, we manage it, and then just sell it out to, to people who need data, data lakes. So that's what we've done. <laughs> When you think about taking on another technology project like that, 
for so many folks who they, they're they're playing at the edges of that, they think about that, or or even they want to do a light version of taking some off the shelf things and just write a little bit to get them to speak together or something like that. Mm-hmm. But you know, so many of us hear these horror stories about about over budget, over time, then it, and it still doesn't do what it's supposed to, and things like that. For people looking to do more of that in the future, what's just some what's like a basic principle? What's a basic way of thinking about that to to not be unduly scared, but you know, how do you be the right amount of cautious? Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's a great point. I mean, anybody who who starts a technology company who's been in it before should have their head examined, right? It's, it's you know, I, I try from, to put it to a real estate perspective. It's like doing a construction project that never ends. It's a development deal that never ends, has just as much risk, never and never ends. And you can't, on a construction site, you can't yell at your subs, right? You know, because you're there. So it's like you you have... You know, it's like having the concrete guy is so rare and so valuable that that all you have to do is just, you know, you you have to show them lots of love. And and that's what a software company is like and technology company. <laughs> it is it is crazy. I, I think the thing that we've learned, and it's it's taken some time, right? Because it's you know, it's it's hard to be a salesperson who is outside of, of the industry and come in here, right? So, you know, the way that we work and the way we've learned, and, and it's because of things that we've messed up on our own, is is being honest with our customer, right? Telling customers, yeah, this is not easy. This isn't going to be good. This is not, you know, it's it's hard to do. We're, what we're doing is hard. This software implementation, I'm going to tell you, it's going to take you three months. It's going to, you know, it's going to take time and effort and all that kind of stuff. So I think being upfront, and that's where if I, and when I talk to them, my dad's in real estate, my brother's in real estate, and 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 I've got lots of friends who are in real estate. And they, you know, for some reason, just because I'm the, the software guy, I've also become like the IT guy. So, you know, any questions on Macs and everything else, they call me, but 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 the the question comes down to the same thing is what do you do how do you feel comfortable about this and i think it comes down to is just managing expectations this is new it's painful you know it's not going to be and, and anybody who tells you it differently is 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 lying to you so i think that's the that's the approach that we really like to take and i think any owner of real estate they have to do it i think this is implementing technology innovation whether it's whatever it is, they have to think about doing it and trying to change themselves down that, that sort of innovation spectrum. Yeah. So if you're ever described, you know, I know you've got all these companies, but if you're ever decide, describing 30 capital to somebody, how do you describe it? So 30 capital is really just sort of a holding company of, of technology and financial services that support commercial real estate, you know, and that's, that's, yeah. I sort of, I mean, that's, that's what I talk to people about. I, you know, I, I think we're, you know, to our marketing team's dismay, we're probably better known by our brands than we are by, you know, by 30 capital, you know, and I, I think we're, we're, we're working hard to, to change that. But, you know, when you have businesses that have been around for 20 years and, 10 years and so on. It's, it's, you know, and you built up that brand capital. That's what it, you know, that's what happens. But, you know, our company like Defees with Ease and Sofa with Ease, you know, and things like that have been around. Lobby's been around for a few years, Entity Keeper. So there are brands that have, that have been around, but yeah, so that's how, that's how I talk about 30 Capital. Yeah. Okay. Well, I know we've covered a few different subjects here. What's yes. something I didn't ask you about? I think, you know, you actually asked a lot. I, I think it was, let's see. Trying to think. Yeah, I think it's really, I think the 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 things that you didn't ask are primarily focused around 
market and market condition, which was interesting, right? Everybody's talking about what's going on in the market, what's going, you know, because this is, right, we're real estate and technology, right? So real estate markets, as they go down, people don't buy technology, right? They, you know, they're, they don't want everything. And, and we saw that last year. You know, we go do this big launch. And then next thing you know, people are like, whoop, whoop, whoop. You know, we, we, we're not we're not spending any money. We're in, you know, and, and delinquencies were high and everybody's doing forbearance and and all that stuff. So I think, you know, you didn't talk about market, which I think is going to be is, is really an interesting time right now because the market will dictate who can operate and who cannot. And I think that's where it's going to really be, you know. And I think we mentioned this. I bought a bunch of properties in 2012 and 13 and 14, huge returns. I didn't do any. I, you know, I'm the first person to say I had nothing to do with that. Now, even my asset managers, yeah, they did some work and the property managers, of course. But, but you know, if you bought an apartment complex in 2012, you're going to have huge appreciation. And so I think what we what we're looking at now is how do people find buy and operate properties in this in this new era because you know and we see it i mean you talk about your stuff you know high yield retail hospitality you know these are these are properties that require real hands-on so i think seeing that market seeing what's going on any type of regulation you know just sort of the yes there's gonna be a lot of a lot of dynamic changes coming in due to market and market conditions going forward you know, I'm I'm a big nerd for Howard Marks, and I don't know. Do you know his book, The Mastering the Market Cycle? Yes. Yep. Yep. Right. And you think about this idea of like, hey, well, we can't predict the future. Hopefully, you can be qualified enough to know where we're at now, like mm-hmm. you know, know our current current location. Mm-hmm. And you look at 2019, even before all COVID craziness, like you know, this is a pretty this is a pretty warm market. I think obje- you could say objectively from a valuation standpoint, yep. right? And yep. you see like, you see the dip and the spike in the, over the last, you know, about, about year now, pretty close. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, you know, I think about that, like Warren Buffett saying like things that can't go on forever won't, right. Mm-hmm. You know, if there is a reset here, what, what kind of asset classes within commercial real estate do you think are, are likely to become the biggest buys if, if we do see a reset? Well, I don't know if they're biggest buys or if they're just sort of, you know, if they're opportunities. So I've lived through two crashes and and booms, right? So, you know, I, I think when you start looking at this, I mean, obviously multifamily is going to be a big winner. Industrial is going to be a big winner, right? But everybody knows that. And there's and there's more capital. And I think that's the that's the other thing that people don't realize. Like when when the market started to collapse in 2000 and you know, what are eight, you know, seven, eight, nine, the amount of capital that was going back into these markets trying to find opportunities prevented us from being in any core, you know, core. So but I think if you start looking at now, where are the opportunities? I think that's where it's like noticing the change as I talked about earlier. It's like, look around. Where's, you know, look, I, retail? Yeah, I think retail's, I think there's going to be some interesting stuff in retail. Maybe not stuff without repositioning. I, I don't know. I mean, that's, and that's what makes the market interesting. Tell me, you know, I really like Bruce Flat from Brookfield or Rick Caruso out in LA where they talk about like, yeah, old bad retail is in for a big hurt. But their their opinion, I'm interested if you share it, like the people who can work with the e-commerce companies and put in Tesla showrooms and put in Amazon stores and and make it more experiential with better dining and or or you know turn some of this like ideal real estate next to a freeway into like mixed use, put apartments above it and sell storage for the people in the apartments and last mile for the for the Amazon, you know, last mile delivery industrial for the Amazon guys. 
And like, if you could, if you could make enough money to hang on the, the repurpose, they feel like is a big upside. Do you see it differently or what do you think? No, I agree a hundred percent. And I, and that's, look, that's where we can talk about innovation and, you know, technology and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, real estate does have a big component of creativity, right? And, and here in Charlotte, you can see, I mean, in, in the areas where, you know, you would, you would never go, you never think people are, people are creating stuff. They're creating things based upon the change of the user. And that's where it's so exciting. That's where, you know, technology is going to help you a little bit with stuff like that. But, but to say, hey, you know, or have the gumption to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to go put a, you know, a, a ghost kitchen in here. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take this old retail center and I'm going to put whatever into it. That's what, that's what makes commercial real estate fantastic. And that's where the excitement is. And that's where the skill is. It's, you know, the technology helps with the operations and, and doing things better, but it's the skill is still that. You know, I, I try to think about myself as like chief talent spotter at our company. <laughs> like I'm the chairman. I'm not the guy who does everything. And like, if I can just keep reminding myself that my goal is not to be the smartest person in the room, it's to be the dumbest person because I got yep. higher people smarter than me, right? Like, my my friend I was telling you about that that we were able to talk on and can be our chief investment officer. You look at Charlotte, for instance, and like he really made me think different. Some of the stuff, not necessarily in Charlotte, but but he he found just a dumpy hospitality business, you know, as a business, not well run, not doing well. And he he didn't price it as a hotel. He went in and bought it because he's getting the land so yep. cheap. And they scraped it. Yep. You know what I mean? And that like, it's like the myopia of, of only seeing what's there kept everybody else away and, and gave him, you know, a really strong return on that opportunity. I mean, hey, Charlotte, what a great city to be from <laughs> okay, yeah. right now, right? Yeah. But that creativity, you know, it can really make the difference, right? Yeah, it's just, it's, it's how can you, the, the key is yes, but how do you scale with creativity? And that's sort of the, right? I mean, that's, and you're, you're talking about, repositioning properties you're talking about going in and finding these opportunities and and having a business plan that works i mean that's that's, that's time consuming and dollar consuming right i mean that's you know i mean some of my biggest losses ever in, in real estate are development deals in in great markets just because of the cost and you know and the pain oh, like the industrial and, building like the industrial yeah. building i bought in 2007 right. yeah. Yeah. yeah i follow you yeah and so you know you try to you know, try to go to an apartment complex on the eastern seaboard in a historic town where, you know, you, you might as well, you know, there's nothing worse than that. So, I mean, years and, and real expenses, it's, you know, that's, that's, that's the challenge. But, but those are the people who can do that. That is creative. Nothing changes. It, it's it, things, sorry, things change all the time. But the, the opportunity for commercial real estate people to come in and buy change and adapt and, and and create something is what makes this industry so much better than everything else. Yeah, it's it's funny how I never wanted to do real estate early on because I thought it was too boring. Mm -hmm. And then and then you know when our family's financial net worth played the roller coaster a couple of times, all of a sudden I'm looking at my mentor over the last 19 years, John, and I'm like, man, he went through the same entrepreneur roller coaster as me, but he had millions of dollars of commercial real estate the whole time, so he yep. had a soft landing. I'm like. John, I am doing this wrong. I need to do it your way. <laughs> right. 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 Look, I don't think anybody would argue that 
commercial real estate and real estate ownership is one of the greatest assets, you know, and, and one of the greatest asset classes out there, one of the greatest things that you can do. I think that's, I, I too tried to, because I was in real estate, I was like, no, I want to be in structured finance. I want to be, you know, I want to be, you know, international mergers and acquisitions. No, you, you know, you get into real estate and you're in real estate and, and, and I'm glad I do because no matter what, you know, properly purchased, properly levered commercial real estate is, is one of the greatest asset classes out there. And so, so I can go in my family office, we can go barbells, right? I can do all my crazy venture stuff, which is, you know, let's talk about putting it on red or black. It's, you know, it's just, it's a huge risk. And I can have real estate that just, you know, is paying a, a moderate return or a good return, depending on when you buy it. But it's still a cash flowing asset that that is, you know, required and needed. You know, I, and just for anybody who hasn't read Nicholas Taleb and this stuff, can you explain the barbell for people? Well, I mean, I, I think of the barbell and it could be very different from, from that, but I consider the, the barbell to be just sort of risk. That's how I look at it. Yeah. I look at it as, you know, I spend, I have so much money and I spend this much money on high risk assets and this much money on low low risk assets. And that's, that's how I look at it. There's very little in between. It's either low risk. Yeah. And that's what he, that's what he talks about so much. And obviously other people too, but this idea of like, Hey, being like being in the middle is the worst of both worlds. Like Mm -hmm. have this huge portion of capital in the, like, never touch it. Can't lose it. High, you know, incredibly high reliability stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And then if you're going to do anything else, don't go do something that's like trying to ride two bicycles, go to the other end where the potential upside is actually worth the risk, even though it's such a low probability. But again, as a as a proportion of the portfolio, probably a, quite a small percentage, right? But but don't like kind of like don't fiddle around in the middle, which is exactly what you just said, right? Right, right, right. And that's and that's that's it, right? It's it, it is. It's about it's about understanding it's, it's risk adjusted returns, which I think is 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 really the the key. And that's you know, which coming back to to real estate, it's harder to truly quantify risk adjusted returns and what's really creating alpha. You know, I think that's the, right, because if, if you bought a, an apartment complex in Greenville, South Carolina, and what's, you know, really, there's no way to track if you bought it versus if I bought it, how much how much return there is, right? So there's really hard, it's really hard to determine who's who's really creating alpha in this, in this space. So maybe a last question, and this kind of relates to a subject we started even before we recorded. This comment that you made that, hey, the market isn't that efficient, right? So have a little humility and, and think through, is this as good a deal as you're telling yourself? Like, was it your genius that spot this and no one else could? Right. Can you talk about, can you talk about intentional humility? Can you talk about, you know, intentionally, you know, putting things through more rigor than maybe the, the human self-congratulation gene wants us to? Yeah, well, I think that's, you know, I think being in multifamily and most of my portfolio is multifamily. And that was sort of the you know, the thing. It's like, boy, it's good and bad. When you win, you win. It's like going to an auction, right? Because every every project right now you're you're competing for with you know a handful. I mean, 50, 60 firms and gets boiled down. And it's best and final, best and final, best and final. And it's like, so it's almost like that auction, right? Where you're you keep on bidding and you win, and you're like, ooh, that buyer's remorse is, oh, what did I just buy? And so that <laughs> in itself is what real is, right? If you're if you're buying it, means that somebody else is selling it. And 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 for people to think that that you know somebody else isn't looking at it, you know, or or knows something about it or has a plan, 
you're, you're wrong. I mean, my, my dad was, as I said, started out as a broker. He's now an owner. He owns a, his own uh, good-sized private equity shop in, in multifamily. But when he started out, it was, if he found a deal, he would go and find syndicators. You know, he would go and, and, and try to get it. And we did. We ended up buying, you know, one of our first things was a mobile home park when I was a young kid. And I remember he went out there and, you know, and, and, and we syndicated it because he saw such a great opportunity. So I, I think the, the key is not every, the, the creativity that you have, the business plan could be different, but don't think that you're, you know, you're just lucky because you found, you know, the broker wants to sell it to you and, and you know, you found that deal. It's, it's, it's not like that. You know, I, I do think it, it takes a lot of, of planning and operations. And that's where I think it's, to me right now in this stage in the market, it's more about operating assets as opposed to acquiring assets. You know, I think it's, you know, you're going to acquire, you're going to use reasonable underwriting and all of that kind of stuff. But, but let's, let's be realistic. Let's, it's about operating that business in a changing market. So something that you said earlier reminds me of two of my favorite real estate investors of all time. One is my buddy that we were talking about before we got started. And the other, which I've only brought up like 10 times today is Bruce Flatt from Brookfield. Right. Yep. And this idea of, I feel like they, they just think about themselves different. I, I know I put you in this category and you can correct me, but they think about themselves not as like warehousers of an asset, but as an operating company. And what they happen to be operating is physical locations. And instead of serving you fast food, they're serving you air conditioning and maintenance and the ability to operate your business. How would you say that different? Or do you, do you see it different? I, I agree hundred percent. I think we, we touched on this either during the, during our, our conversation here or, or later. And, and, you know, a lot of times I get, you know, I'll, I'll talk to real estate shops and they're like, Hey, how do we do this a little differently? And, and I think the, the key is, is that the way to look at that is in, in Brookfield's perfect example, right? Brookfield is valuable, more valuable than just the sum of its assets. Right. And I think as a real estate owner, you've got to think of that, that mentality, right? It's, it's, you know, it's like, you're, you're more than just, you know, a McDonald's is not just a function of its, you know, hamburgers and, and, and stuff. It's, it's how they deliver an experience. And that I think is for, for commercial real estate firm, they've got to look at it and say, Hey, if you're the, if you're the founder and you're the main guy and you're the small shop and, and you walk out the door tomorrow, you don't show up again. Is there value to that real estate shop, that real estate organization? And that's where I think it's all about the, 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 the way that a company operates a real estate shop is just as important to the assets that they buy. And I think that by, by utilizing some of the same things that these start, you know, high growth companies employ and some software and technology companies employ is actually what's going to make them really successful. If you start operating like a high growth company, you know, the, the Googles or the, the Teslas and the Snowflakes, you start at, if you actually start to operate like that just a little bit, you'll see, yeah, you'll, you'll change the way you do your business. I feel like we need like a, a dramatic pause so people can like take notes because I feel like I need to take notes. That's yeah, I, I think that's, that's a good point. It. Yeah, it just gives us, you know, the way that we operate our real estate company is the same way that we operate our technology companies. Same exact way. Yeah, we we go through and we look at things like planning and communication, KPIs, you know, or key performance indicators. How are we hiring people? Are the people in our shop innovators? Do they believe in technology or do they just go and do the same thing every day? Because that's what they do. And, and that's the way that we look, we, we do our planning of our customers. Who is our customer? How do we storyboard them? How do we, so it's all the same stuff that we do, 
on a commercial, on our technology companies or our financial services companies. It's the same thing that we do for our, for our real estate company. Yeah. Well, listen, if people want to follow you, if people want to connect with you, what's the best places? So obviously LinkedIn is, is, is probably the best place. Follow me as, as well as we've got newsletters on all of our 30 capital financial or any of our brands. I'm, you know, I'm very approachable. So you know, you know, people can reach out to me and and call me. I'm more than happy to to talk to people. I I actually really like doing what you do, which is listening to other people and, and seeing what's going on in the market. I wish I had the patent on on innovation and everything that's going on. I I actually spend you know probably three or four hours a week listening to salespeople just because I like to hear what's going on in the market. So yeah, so people can reach out that way. I don't have a huge following base in Twitter or any of those. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. Well, maybe to end here, thinking specifically of the ownership of your real estate, you know, Mm -hmm. that side, maybe more so on the technology side. If you could go back and give a younger version of yourself some advice, what would it be? Step up and buy more, right? The buying opportunities are when it's the most nerving. And that's, you know, multifamily 2012, you know, 10 and 12, markets collapsing, there's Occupy Wall Street, gold is going, I'm I'm taking physical possession of gold just because you don't know what's going on and you could buy assets for really reasonable pricing. I wish I bought more. I wish, you know, I I think that's where it is. It's it's just understanding that this is cycles and, and there's opportunity. So I think that was, that would be the one, the one thing. And then the other thing is don't sell right? Is, is, I mean, that's the only other thing, you know, I, I, I've sold a couple assets in the last few years, even though they were great returns and wonderful, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to replicate those right now. I love it. Well, thanks for doing this. I, I learned a ton. Hopefully other people were taking notes. I'm going to like re-listen to this and take notes <laughs> and, and we should have you back on again. Well, sounds good. Yeah. Thanks so much. I really do appreciate it. It was fun. <laughs>